so good to be here. Good to see visitors once again. If you're new with us, welcome. It's always a joy to gather, uh, to worship Jesus together, to hear his word, to be unified as a community of saints, and to get back into his word, because that's how we grow. That's how we are instructed. That's where we get power for our lives. And uh, one of the things that we've been learning uh, over the last few weeks in our church, we were, for those of you guys who have not been with us, we're studying 1 Corinthians, we're going all the way through, and we've been learning that the Bible is very practical, right? The Bible does not merely speak to uh, just spiritual things, general ideas about how to be a better person. The Bible speaks into the very specifics of our daily challenges and daily lives. And so we've been working through 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and 7, and in these chapters, the Apostle Paul is dealing with how we view our sexuality, human sexuality, how we treat, how we uh, form a perspective of ourselves, how we order our lives in this area. And it's a very important subject. It's a very important subject because it is a, a huge part of being human, right? We are just talking with Val before church that it's kind of crazy that uh, this subject is oftentimes ignored, um, kind of seen as taboo, kind of avoided in the church because it is such an important component of God's design of life. It's also an important way, one of the biggest ways, that we see brokenness in the world through twisted, perverted views of sexuality. And it's one of the biggest ways that God, through Jesus, through the gospel, works powerful redemption puts on display the power of his healing work in our lives. So this, this is a truth. This is a topic not just for married couples. It is a topic for everybody, for married couples, for young and old, for singles, for people considering marriage, young teens, as we think about what does it mean to have sexual desires and what does it mean to get married one day and look for a spouse and, and how do I form a correct perspective on this? It's interesting how it's all colliding in timing really, really well these last few weeks because last week our, our youth ministry had a whole night on dating, preparing yourself for dating and how do you view that. Uh, this week we have a family night teaching. We will be going deeper on this subject. So uh, if you are encouraged and challenged, come on Wednesday. You'll be, you'll be challenged even more. If you're going to be uncomfortable, it'll make you even more uncomfortable in a very good way. So... Uh, one, of the, one of the famous uh, bands of, of the last 50 years, Queen, is a British band, has a song where the artist expresses this, this desire. He says, I work hard every day of my life. I work till I ache in my bones. At the end of the day, I take home all my hard-earned pay, all on my own. I get down on my knees and I start to pray till the tears run down from my eyes. Lord, somebody, somebody... Ooh, somebody, please find me somebody to love. Now, it's an interesting thing that the song, it, it doesn't take the usual way that human beings speak of love in the culture around us because the main idea when it comes to love and physical desires, sexual desires, the, one of the biggest ideas of our culture is take, take and receive. Go get what you want. If it feels good, do it. All of the emphasis is on taking. It's on receiving. It's on getting. It's on uh, personal fulfillment and personal 
satisfaction, right? And this is also one of the biggest pains in the world because when we look for sexual fulfillment in anything outside of God's design, God designed it, and so he knows how it works. If you look in any other area, you're, it's going to be like drinking salt water. You're, gonna, you're, you're thirsty, you want satisfaction. The more you get, the more thirsty you're going to be. And, and it's interesting because th- this, this whole mindset, it leaves people with a deeper emptiness, Asking this question, can somebody please find me somebody to love? Now, the interesting thing about that question is because the question is is reversing the direction. It is saying, I have a deep desire to give myself to somebody. Deep down below my selfishness and my brokenness and my desire to receive, I also have this deep desire to belong and to give myself up to somebody. And that is emotionally and that is physically as well. At the end of the day, it's, it's one of the biggest desires of, of a human being, right? To be able to fully give yourself to somebody else and to matter to that person. And that's emotionally to belong, but it's also physically to belong. To be seen and to be accepted and received just as you are. And at the end of the day, that is only found in God's design for marriage. Now, last week we looked, about, looked at how Paul talks about immorality, sexual immorality. People, people pervert God's view of sexual design. Today, we, Paul goes on in chapter 7 to talk about how married couples are to view themselves in marriage. And of course, like I said, this applies to everybody because all of us think about marriage, consider marriage, and approach, approach marriage in some way, we have some relationship to it. And, and, and why I titled this God's Design for Your Sexuality, because Paul is very comprehensive, and we'll see this in the whole chapter. Paul speaks to everybody. He speaks to the marrieds, he speaks to the singles, he speaks to the widows, he speaks to the never married and never want to get married, he speaks to the people who are not married but want to get married. He's speaking to everybody, and he says, this is God's good design, and here, here's how I want to guide you in it. So, open your Bibles, we'll read 1 Corinthians 7, verses 1 through 9. 1 Corinthians 7, verses 1 through 9. Now, in response to the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to use a woman for sex. But because sexual immorality is so common, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife, and each woman should have sexual relations with her own husband. A husband should should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise a wife to her husband. A wife does not have right over her own body, but her husband does. In the same way, a husband does not have a right over his own body, but his wife does. Do not deprive one another, except when you agree for a time to devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again. Otherwise, Satan may tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession and not as a command. I wish that all people were as I am. But each has his own gift from God. One person this gift and another person that. I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them to remain as I am. But if they do not have self-control, they should marry since it is better to marry than to burn with desire. The first thing that I want to point to in this passage, very important to consider the context and situation. And the first thing that we want to identify in Paul's argument is... Both legalism and license are a distortion of God's plan for sexual fulfillment. Legalism and license. Those are two words that I thought about simplifying, but I left them because they're important words. Legalism 
is when you are adding to God's rules things that he did not say, right? You're making things uh, not allowed what God hasn't spoken about or God did not forbid, right? License is when you are saying, uh, it's okay if I do whatever I want, God will still forgive me. So that's excusing your sin by relying on God's forgiveness. Those are two types of sins. And these types of wrong approaches to sexuality are very prominent, especially in this text and, of course, in our lives around us. From the very beginning, we saw that these people in this church, the backstory, right, they had this very interesting view of spirituality, they pursued higher spirituality. They want to be extra spiritual. And they had this specific view that uh, a person who is very spiritual, they had a very self-centered view that was focused on how each of them could be more wise than the other, how they could, that, how they could uh, have deeper knowledge than other people, special gifts than other people. It was a very self-centered spirituality. And this, this self-centered spirituality also made them have this weird view of life where spiritual things are important, Physical things, not as important. And, and that led to a number of sins, right? We talked about that last week, how we often can get into that same problem of dividing physical and spiritual priorities. At the root of the problem, right, some, some of these people, it led them to have this view that they could do whatever I want. As long as I'm spiritual, I could do whatever I want with my body. I could sin and do all the things I desire, and it's okay. And Paul is saying, no, that's wrong, Right? But this is also, the, another problem they had was some of them started to say, well, no, all, all pleasure is bad. Uh, spiritual things are important and I need to devote myself to God. But uh, physical pleasure, sexual pleasure, all these things, these are bad and dirty. So I need to not do them. And so there was a bunch of, there was a bunch of married couples in this church where one of the people, one of the per, uh, people in the marriage would pull away from the other and, and stop engaging physically with them, stop showing physical affection, and stop having sexual relationship with their own spouse. And Paul is coming straight into that and saying, okay, I got to clear something up here. You guys have an incorrect view of what it means to be spiritual, right? He, he goes right into this problem and he says, Verse 1, now in response to the things that you wrote about, because they had some disagreements and they wrote a letter to Paul. Who's right? Who, well, we have these conflicts, these married couples. They're all, they're all confused. And he says, now this, this quote, you said it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. He wants to, he wants to start by clarifying that, that misunderstanding, right? Context here is really, really important. At, at, when we look at how does Paul respond to this, this passage, it's, it has some very challenging, so Paul originally wrote in Greek, as many of us know, has some really challengingly kind of worded statements. And so why I want to say that is because some people will pull uh, phrases from this passage and apply them in a very simplistic way. And, and we'll see that in a few minutes. For us to correctly understand Paul, we've got to understand his context. We've got to understand the whole flow of the letter we got to understand how Paul thinks about sexuality. Because when you look at first, kind of first glance, verse 2, but because sexual immorality is so common, each man should have a sexual relations with his own wife. He's kind of saying that, he's, he, it almost sounds like he has a negative view of sex. He says the only reason you should get married is to not sin. Right? It kind of sounds like that's what he's saying. But that is clearly not what Paul is saying. Because when we keep reading... 
we realize that Paul has a much deeper view of physical intimacy. He says, no, no, no. Physical intimacy in marriage is much more than just, oh, well, I can't control myself, so I'm going to get married, right? There's this like foolish kind of phrase thrown out sometimes in, in the church. You know, the only reason men get married is to have sex. It's ridiculous, and that's not what Paul's saying here. Maybe some people use this passage for that. He says, no, no, no. Marriage is much more than just avoiding sin. Marriage is a deep union. We'll get into that in a second. But, but he's saying, but sexual intimacy in marriage is one of the ways that we fight sin. He says, if you have this view, this legalistic view that, that sexual pleasure is wrong and dirty and to be avoided, he says, you're going to have a lot of problems in your life because that's a wrong perspective. You're, gonna, you're, you're actually going to have new sins that start to come up. So he's saying license is wrong, meaning people in chapter 6, people who are going to all kinds of places to fulfill their sexual desires, that's wrong. But he also says to this other side, he says, people, if you think that sex is dirty and wrong and you should pull away from it, he says, that's wrong too. Because when you're adding to God's rules, the rules that he didn't make, you're going to cause sin. You're, you're, you're creating artificial boundaries here. The church has some bad history in this regard, right? When we read church history, it's very interesting to see some of the early church writers have a very weird relationship to sexuality. Um, and it led to like this negative view in the Middle Ages where they, had, they made this rule that priests had to be celibate. Priests, if you want to be a priest, if you want to be a pastor in the church, you cannot be married. Now, I, how did they get that? One of the places they got that was this chapter. Now, how did they justify that with Paul's letter to Timothy, where Paul says that a pastor needs to be a one-woman man. A pastor needs to be a man who belongs to his wife. I don't know how they, how they reconciled that. But the church has its track record of having adding rules and having a negative view of sex, and that actually leads to more sin. Some of us have seen in the headlines the, the terrible things that happen with priests and the sexual abuse scandals uh, in the church. This happens when people adopt a wrong view of sex, and that's, very, it, that's what we want to avoid. And that's what Paul's trying to avoid here, right? A, a less intense version of this is kind of like maybe in, in Baptist churches, traditional churches, where we just don't talk about it, and because we don't talk about it, the young people growing up under, start to think that this is, not a, this is a dirty thing, it's not a good thing, and then when they enter marriage, they have this really negative view of physical intimacy, and that creates marriage problems, and it leads all the way back to how we view God's design. Paul is saying, don't add rules. God designed human sexuality, and it's not wrong. Actually, the opposite. Here's the next point. It's essential to a healthy marriage. Healthy understanding of marriage is, at its core, you have to have a healthy view of the sexual relationship between husband and wife. You cannot have a healthy marriage without a healthy sexual relationship. That's what Paul is saying here. It's inseparable. And that leads to our second point. Mutual selfless giving is at the heart of the marriage relationship. Mutual selfless giving. I worded that phrase with like specifically to soak in the full meaning of these verses. Mutual selfless giving is at the heart of the marriage relationship. Verse 3. A husband should fulfill his duty, his marital duty to his wife. 
and likewise a wife to her husband. A wife does not have a right over her own body, but her husband does. In the same way, a husband does not have a right over his own body, but his wife does. So when we read that, and we're like, wow, that's the Bible's view of sex, that, is, that sounds cold and uh, not exciting and negative. I mean, he says duty, he says right, just surrendering and serving, like just checking off the box. That doesn't sound very enjoyable and passionate. Again, that's why you don't build your theology on one passage, because if you flip to Song of Solomon and all these other books, you'll see. And, and, and really, when we consider the context, we realize he's not talking about dry view of duty sex. He's actually talking about something different. In the Roman culture, this passage sounded very different than to us. Why? Because in the Greco-Roman culture of Corinth, men got married for the purposes of having babies and political connections, financial connections. Marriage was more of a contract and an arrangement. And in this culture where Paul is writing, men were expected for their desires, fulfillment, sexual desires, men were free to do whatever they wanted and got it elsewhere from slaves, from prostitutes, from all these terrible sinful things that surround the church in the city. So, and then we can see some of that idea still lingering in the church. Like what is marriage for versus what is fulfillment for? And Paul, Paul comes at that and he's, these words to a Greco-Roman culture were very shocking because it was almost depriving them of their freedom that they cherished so much. Paul is essentially saying, husbands, no, no, you have no right over your own body. You have no right. You got married. This union of two is now one. And now you don't get to do whatever you want. You have, you belong, your body belongs to her. And likewise, wife, your body belongs to your husband. No one else. Marriage is not just, and, and this gets at a very important truth, biblical truth about what is marriage. Marriage is not just a contract. Marriage is not just an agreement. It's not just living under one roof and co-parenting and paying the bills. In the Bible, marriage, marriage is a deep physical and spiritual belonging to one another. When he says your body doesn't belong to you, he's not just saying that in a, in a slave, slavery kind of duty language. He's talking about there's a depth here. Think about it. Your body, your whole self does not belong to you when you get married. When you get married, you belong to your spouse now, completely, all of you. Genesis 2.24, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife. Other translations, holds fast to his wife, and they become one flesh. This is a very important concept in the whole Bible. Why? Because this bonding, this oneness of husband and wife, is then connected in Ephesians 5, and Paul says this, this beautiful bond, physical and emotional bond between husbands and wives, is very important to God. God feels strongly about marriage and sex in marriage. God is really concerned about it. He loves it. He protects it. Why? Because this in a human world is a picture of kind of to try to give people a, a sort of sense of the depth of bond that God has for his people. Ephesians 5, Paul says, just like Christ gave his body, gave himself to the church, and the church is inseparable from Christ. So you husbands, love your wives. 
This is a very, very important bond. This is a very important concept. This is why Satan hates marriage. This is why Satan works so hard to destroy marriage. This is why Satan works so hard to promote marriage conflict. This is why the enemy wants couples to drift apart emotionally, spiritually, and losing physical connection. It's a very important biblical concept. And that leads to a few specific points that we want to make as we follow up this concept. You cannot belong physically to one another in marriage unless you belong spiritually and emotionally. Right? You cannot have a healthy sexual relationship without having a deep emotional bond and spiritual bond with one another. Some people twist this passage and they say, oh, you know, it's a duty that you got to have, husband and wife have to have to one another. It doesn't really matter if you're not into it. Young people approaching marriage, especially I think maybe ladies are more taught this, going into marriage, you know, you're not always going to feel like it. You're not always going to be into having physical intimacy, but you know, you got to do that because you kind of do your duty. You got to belong to your husband. You got to keep his cup full. This is not biblical language. This is not biblical language. Think about how the Bible speaks about belonging and intimacy, physical intimacy. Genesis 4.1, Adam knew his wife and she conceived and birthed a son. And again, that, that, that phrase, Adam knew his wife. And, and, you know, I think lots of times when we read that, we're like, oh, you know, God's just too embarrassed to use the word sex. He's not embarrassed. God is not embarrassed of anything. No, God is trying to say that when people join sexually, there is something much deeper happening than just a physical connection. There's a spiritual bond. Adam knew his wife. The biblical view of sex is a deep knowing and a deep bond. This is why, again, sexual sin is so damaging, right? This is why we, we want to avoid, we want to warn young people and married people, everybody, right? Sexual sin, all these sins that we talked about last week, they're so damaging because they, they twist your thinking from being, using your sexuality as a form of deeper knowledge of one another, of giving yourself up. You become all about taking, all about receiving. You're turning it inside out. The sexual relationship in marriage, it's kind of like the center point of the marriage. Now, we have to be careful and say that marriage is not all about sex, but it's really, really key. It's kind of like, you know, those cathedral buildings with dome, huge dome ceilings. There's the center point. If the center is weak, the whole thing crumbles. And now, when you consider the center point of marriage is a deep, Intimacy, a deep bond where you are seen, you are known, you are exposed, and it's not a frightening and terrible thing. You feel completely embraced and completely accepted. That's God's amazing design. It's not just about having a good emotional connection with your wife. No, the whole, we are physical creatures, right? And this is God's design. And I, we understand perfectly that there are broken marriages. And this is not going to be perfectly easy for everybody. That's the point, is that this, this truth helps us guide, right? Helps set our expectations. If the wife or husband feel unknown in their marriage. So think about that. If you feel distant from your spouse, if you feel disrespected, if you feel neglected, if you feel ashamed, 
If there's conflict in your marriage that you're not solving, that you're just sweeping it under the rug, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, let's move on, I love you. You're going to see that expressing itself in a lack of physical connection, physical intimacy. It's going to be impacted. It will be impossible to truly give yourself to your spouse if your marriage is struggling in a million other areas. And this is all very dangerous, Paul says. Why? So that Satan may not tempt you. There, this is, this is, he's not just talking about Satan may tempt you and you'll fall into sexual sin. That's definitely one of the temptations. But how did Satan tempt Adam and Eve? How did their, their, there was obviously a disconnect. Adam should have been there close to her, protecting her when Satan came and tempted her, right? Paul says, when you have broken sexual intimacy, broken physical intimacy, and broken emotional intimacy in your marriage, you're opening up the doors for Satan to enter your home, enter your marriage, and cause destruction. The line of connection, the problems in the bedroom start everywhere else, right? It's all connected. It's all one thing. And Paul is saying, deal with your marriage conflict, deal with your emotional intimacy. All of that will fall apart. The only thing more difficult than building a healthy marriage, because building a healthy marriage is hard. But the only thing more difficult than that is sitting in the ashes of a destroyed family. Paul says, maintain that physical connection, that bond, that oneness so that Satan may not tempt you, so that Satan may not wreak havoc in your house. The second point that we want to make about this is that mutual giving means both spouses seek the pleasure and joy of the other. Mutual. Notice Paul is saying mutual, one another seeking one another's joy and pleasure. There's this oversimplification in the church oftentimes that sex is mostly a men's need and women just serve their husbands in this area. That's, that's wrong. And, and the crazy thing is people use this passage to, to, to back that up. And it, the whole point in this passage that Paul is saying is husband, serve your wife. Wife, serve your husband. There's total mutuality. There's a total 50-50 commitment of both sides to one another. Both, both spouses live for the giving and joy of the other. Now, I want to bash a little bit more on husbands here because husbands are, we believe, called to be the leaders of their households. And if a husband is not open and willing and working in this area of his marriage, it's going to be very hard for his marriage to make any progress, even if the wife is fully committed and open and trying to work on it, right? Men tend to have a more simplistic view of sex, just as a more of a physical act. Men often and not always, we're, all men are different. We're all different, right? We, we have to be careful of generalizations. But men generally need less emotional connection. Uh, men are more likely, but not always, to be uncomfortable with talking about sex, even with their own spouse, right? We're, 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 as men, we want to get on with it, but we don't want to talk about it because we're uncomfortable about that sometimes. But, but that's not the calling of a man who leads his house, right? 1 Peter 3, 7, Peter says, Husbands, live in the same way. Live with your wives in an understanding way. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. As the weaker partner, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Notice that. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Does that apply to sexual intimacy? Of course it does. 
I think a lot of times we use this passage and we talk about, yeah, you know, understand that she's emotional, so be careful with her. No, understand in all areas. God made men and women generally slightly different in our sexual response, right? That's, that's a fact. It's not across the board. But the fact is, one of the reasons why sexual uh, struggles in marriage exist is because there's a difference of how the spouses approach it. Now, the problem with that is, as men, we sometimes oversimplify that difference as a flaw. And we say, oh, she's just too needy, too emotional, too this, too that, right? And the problem is, that's, that's a design feature. It's not a flaw. God made men and women different emotionally and physically, designed differently. Why? So that we can serve each other in different ways. A man who leads his wife is a man who understands his wife, who serves her in all the needs that she has, right? But of course, it's not only men, it's wives too, right? So women can enter, in our culture, I think in our kind of Christian culture, women can enter marriage with kind of a negative view of her body, uh, you know, there's this hypersexualized culture that tells women they have to look like this. And it's very easy for women to have a very negative view of themselves, maybe having fears, negative experiences that come with that, right? So it's the job of the husband to tenderly, carefully love, care for, care for his wife. But also the wife needs to learn to be open, right? The wife needs to learn to let her husband lead and, and open up and trust and seek solutions and answers, a lot of marriages suffer in the area of sexual intimacy because there's not mutuality. One is giving, one is, one is just taking. One, they're closed up or uncomfortable or stubborn. So that's very important when we look at this passage. Very important as the church in a culture of sexual abuse. It's important to say that sex can be deeply damaging and harmful if there is not full mutuality. Sex can be damaging and harmful when there is not full, true mutuality. If one spouse senses something is off, you got to pump the brakes, you got you to gotta invest, you got to talk, you got to open, open the uh, relationship, the context, to talk, to figure out each other's needs. So do you know your spouse in this area? Do you understand them and do you serve them? That's the question, right? Another follow-up point. The emphasis of healthy sexuality, sexual intimacy, is not on taking, but on giving. Again, we're kind of drilling this point. Notice what Paul is talking about here. A lot of people, they use this passage in a variety of ways about demanding. See, it says you don't belong to yourself. But the whole point of this passage, it's all about not demanding. It's all about giving. It's all about saying, I belong to you, and I'm here to love you. I'm here to take care of you. I'm here to understand your needs, emotional and physical, and I want to make space for this in our marriage. Healthy sexual intimacy is about giving, not about taking. This passage is used in the church for manipulation and for abuse, and that's evil. So we want to make that clear. This passage is misused a lot, and it's evil. This text is not about demanding your rights. So, you know, that obviously, oh, well, well, what if I'm focused on serving my spouse? Doesn't that mean that they're probably just going to 
use up all of my goodness and not actually serve me back? Like, isn't that danger of just me serving my spouse physically, thinking about their needs sexually and and living for that? But then what about me? Well, first of all, try it and see what happens. Most of the time, that's how we're wired as human beings. When, when our spouse is seeking our deepest desire and we feel so loved, we feel so taken care of, that overflows to giving and loving in other directions, right? So if you, it, the answer to a broken marriage and broken physical and sexual intimacy is not by demanding more. It's by giving. And that warms and changes the heart of the partner. But what if my spouse isn't giving enough? What if I feel like it is one-sided in this area? The second point here is proper communication. We have to help each other serve each other, right? We have to, we have to open up our hearts and be vulnerable and talk to our husbands and wives about what our needs are because that is an act of love. When you tell your spouse, I feel loved I would like this more. I would like to try this. Please, can we do this differently? When you tell them that, you are helping them serve you better. Now, of course, you don't do it in a spirit of criticism and putting them down. You do it in the spirit of grace and acceptance, but you've got to communicate. That's, that's really essential the, 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 to the concept of what Paul's talking about here and in all of Scripture, right? That openness and that communication. We help each other, serve each other, by telling each other what we need. Not in, in guilt or manipulation, but in love and care. We, we make it easy for each other to serve each other. That's a really important point, I think, on a practical level. It's a very basic point here, right? But you can't serve your spouse well if you don't deeply know their needs. But you're not going to just guess their needs. You've got you to ask them. Finally, I wanted to just kind of reiterate, it is wrong to blame, it is wrong to use this text to blame wives for their husband's lust problems. Again, we're addressing a lot of skeletons here in the closet, a lot of past maybe associations and problems, right? People use this text and kind of hang it over women as a threat, like, oh, if you are not giving to your husband enough, then he will run away and do crazy things. That is not what this text is doing, and it is evil to use it that way. Paul is commanding here, do not deprive one another, except for when a time when you agree to devote yourselves to prayer. Verse 5, that is a very specific command to a specific situation. In this situation, there's a bunch of people in the church who believed it was wrong to have sexual intimacy. So Paul is speaking right into that saying, stop it. This is silly. This is wrong. But you can't just, you can't just pull that phrase, do not deprive, and slap it as a universal principle without understanding what's going on in the marriage. When there's a marriage that's struggling sexually, there's probably deeper reasons for that. So you got to pause and say, okay, what's going on? How can we work on this? What are the deeper problems here? But to hang it over and, and, and to, to pressure and to, to uh, cause fear in people, that's not, how, that's not what Paul is doing here. And it's not how we talk about healthy sexuality in marriage, by pressuring people and threatening them. Of course, Paul says, if there isn't healthy sexual connection in marriage, that's dangerous. It's dangerous. But you've got to work on the deeper underlying causes for it. And it's wrong, right, to, to see that all men are just these lust-hungry animals who are just a few days away from sexual sin. 
That, that's, that's, that's not right. Look around. You will see a lot of godly men in here who are not like that, who don't live that way, right? And as we've been talking about, Scripture calls us to a high view of manhood, of self-control, of honor, of respect, of love. So, mutual selfless giving is at the heart of the marriage relationship. And finally, every season of life is a gift from God to be embraced. Every season of life. Verse 6, or verse 7, I wish that all people were like me, Paul says. But each has his own gift from God. One person has this gift and another that. To the unmarried or the widowed, I say it is good for them to remain as I am. As I am. But if they do not have self-control, they should marry, since it is better to mar- marry than to burn with desire. Paul closes this section off with just affirming the goodness of God's design for everybody. He says, look, church, I want you to have a healthy view of sexuality. This is God's design, and it is good. But I also understand not everybody is there. We all have different seasons of life that we're in. And the area, the season that you're called to today is good. And you want to embrace that. You want to see it as God's gift. He doesn't want single people to feel like second-class citizens. Oh, well, I have, I have a desire for marriage. I have a sexual desires and desire for no, romance and knowledge and love. But I don't have a spouse. So what am I? Am I like a half-baked Christian? Am I a half-Christian? A lot of times churches will have this kind of idea that, you know, unless you're married, you're not a full-blown healthy Christian. Paul says, no, you know what? Everybody has a different season of life where they are, and that's a gift of God. He says, each one has his gift. That's a gift. It's not a curse. Each of us has the challenges and obligations of our season. For married couples, you have challenges. You've got to cultivate healthy sexual intimacy, healthy physical intimacy, and it doesn't just come like that. I think a lot of times single people think, if I only get married, everything's going to be great. No, it's, it's complicated. It's a lot of work, and a lot of couples have a lot of complicated challenges in the area of sexual intimacy. It's not that simple. That's what this whole text is helping us see. But also, single people, embrace your time. Some of you, he says, you're single, and you don't want to get married. And he's like, awesome. This is good. Use your life for the kingdom of God. Some of you are single, and you do want to get married. That's good, too. This is a season where you correctly frame why God made you this way, and you exercise self-control and you pursue marriage in a godly way. That's where you go back to uh, Pastor Alexi's talk last week. Review that. How do we prepare ourselves for marriage? How do we grow in self-control and guide our life to seek a healthy life in the future, right? Every season is a gift. It's not a curse. And that should push us all back into the Lord who gives us that gift. God invented marriage, and, and, and Paul wants us to see that this is so key and this is so important because at the heart of the beauty of marriage is not just marriage itself. It is the God who has given himself. He has come into this world. He has given himself in the deepest, most profound expression of intimacy and love that we can ever, ever wish for. And, and if you're single or if you're in a broken marriage, the fact that you don't have a perfectly healthy sexual relationship with a spouse does not mean that you are deprived of this deep, profound intimacy because marriage points to the Savior that you have today. Jesus is with us now. 
Jesus is our savior today. He fulfills our hearts in ways that nothing ever will. And if you're not fulfilled, if you're not receiving his gift of life, if the gospel isn't your fuel today, and you think that just getting married or just getting a better sex life in my marriage or solving my marriage problems, that's all gonna make things better. No, no, no. The center of it is the king. It's the Lord who gives you life today. Receive it as a gift. He is here. He is now. He is yours couple of application points for us as we're reflecting on this. What is your view of sex and sexual desire? Do you see it as something that is dirty and to be avoided? Something for us to think about. Do you see marriage as a deep physical and emotional belonging? I think it's a really important question for single people as they think about marriage. Like, What, what do you think about? What, what kind of marriage partner do you seek? Marriage is not just, oh, I think that person is really hot or beautiful or that guy is really attractive, right? Marriage is a deep, physical, and intimate and emotional belonging. It's a person with whom you are spiritually connected. It's a person that you want to spend the rest of your life facing all the spiritual battles with, right? It's a deep spiritual friendship. Is that your view of marriage? Is that what you look for? Is that what you pray for? Is that what you pursue? Do you see healthy sexuality, sexual intimacy as an inseparable part of a healthy spiritual and emotional connection in marriage? Or sorry, are you committed to seeking your spouse's sexual satisfaction? That's for couples. This is a really important question. It is, it is a very plain question, very direct question. If you're a married person, Paul tells us this has to be your priority. You have to seek their satisfaction. You have to understand them. You have to know them. You have to know all of the things that make them move, make them excited. Is your marriage a space where you feel free to discuss the complexity of sexual intimacy and making your needs known? Is your marriage a space where you feel free to discuss this question? Again, it takes time to get there. It is challenging. We're awkward people. Sometimes there's subjects we're just not comfortable with. But in marriage, you can't afford to have a marriage where you don't talk about your physical intimacy. It's, it's dangerous. It's dangerous. You have to know one another, and you, you can't have any, any subjects that you don't talk about. Is sex an area that you primarily give or take? What's your view? Is it about giving, or is it about taking? Again, that's for all people, single and and married. What is your view of sexual fulfillment? It's an act of giving. That's the most amazing satisfaction that, that we get. Do you seek to understand your spouse's needs? Do you take, take time to listen? And finally, do you see every season of life as a gift? Do you embrace Jesus today and his gift of your physical life, your physical challenges, your desires? Do you see Christ as the key to your satisfaction in all areas, including sexual. He is the key to you having self-control as a single person. He is the key for you to being vulnerable and open with your spouse in areas where you've been afraid to. When Christ is the center of your identity, when Christ gives you full sense of satisfaction and love and acceptance, Christ gives you self-control. He gives you courage. He gives you the ability to pursue health and grow in the way he designed you. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are, you are a good God. You are a good designer of life 
in that you are merciful and loving to us as you speak into every single specific area of what it means to be human, Lord. We thank you that you love us so much that you give us truth that gives us redemption in every area of life. Even a subject like this that is often so complicated, a subject where maybe there's a lot of guilt or baggage or negative experiences, Lord. Help us to see the grace that you offer to us as, the, as you offer your truth and you gently guide us, Lord. We pray that you would work by your word, you work by your spirit, Lord, to build healthy marriages, Lord. We all come into marriage from, from a background. We all come into marriage from a certain kind of brokenness and difficulty and pain and certain people much more than others, Lord. And I just pray that you would work through your truth today, that you would work, that our marriages would not be places of demanding, marriages of, of, of duty and just disconnection, Lord, but that our marriages would be places of safety, love, intimacy, renewal. Lord, give us the strength as families. Marriage is, is difficult and hard, and give us the strength, we pray, for, for your spirit to, to equip married couples in our church today, Lord. Give us wisdom and patience to work through conflict. Give us wisdom and patience and courage to discuss maybe some of these topics that some couples feel uncomfortable to discuss, Lord. Help us to learn to love one another well. Help us to be a community, Lord, of people who are pure, who are rejoicing in purity, who are rejoicing in your design, Lord. Help us to be the type of people who are not so easily tempted by the sexual perversion of the world. Help us, Lord, to have your beautiful design firmly fixed in our gaze so that when we look at the world around us, we, our hearts ache. We're not, we're, not, we're not enticed as easily into the brokenness of the world. We can be a source of healing and wisdom and love, Lord. Guide us in this area. This is, this is a huge area of, of need in the world around us, Lord. Bless our, our singles, our, our people who desire marriage, give them wisdom and guidance, that you would be forming healthy families, that you would be forming healthy expectations of what a good family is, Lord. And we thank you for Jesus who gave his body up for us, that we can be your body, that we could be one with you, Lord. We can know your love today. We can know forgiveness. We can be received into your arms, fully free from guilt, fully known and fully loved by you, Lord. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the gospel that gives us life today. 